Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast series on impact, talking with entrepreneurs and organizational leaders who contribute to building a more cooperative and positive future. I'm Ursula York, the host of this series. I'm a mentor to business people who want to have a positive effect on the world around them, building strong businesses by creating value for their clients, team members, and the larger world. I am so passionate about sharing with you the stories of entrepreneurs and leaders who have impact. They're inspiring and energizing role models. I hope you use what you learn here to be inspired about what you can do in your business and beyond. For ongoing inspiration and support to get clear on your impact and put it into action, enter your name and email at workalchemy.com. Today's guest in this podcast series on impact is Dr. Linda Lehrhaupt. Dr. Lehrhaupt is the founder and director of the Institute for Mindfulness-Based Approaches, one of the largest professional training institutes of its kind in Europe. Linda has a rich background in the integration of mindfulness-based approaches in education, healthcare, and personal development. For more than 20 years, she directed innovative teacher training programs in meditative movement. In 1979, Linda began Zen meditation practice and became a Zen teacher in 2012. Since 1992, she's been leading both Zen and mindfulness retreats throughout Europe. Linda's the author of Riding the Waves of Life, Mindfulness and Inner Balance, and Tai Chi as a Path of Wisdom. She is co-author of the newly published, I believe it's just today published, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, the MBSR Program for Enhancing Health and Vitality. So welcome to the podcast, Linda. I'm so glad to have you here. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. So tell me, how did you come to do this work? We were chatting a little bit before the podcast. So tell, tell me how this work that you're doing now evolved. Well, I've been in education since 1971, so almost 46 years now. And, but I was teaching various things. I started life as a high school teacher, and then I went pretty quickly into adult education. And when I moved to Europe, I decided to make what was my hobby, which is Tai Chi and Qigong, my profession. And I began teaching uh, these uh, arts uh, in healthcare and education, and founded a small school and was happily going along, also finishing my dissertation and just kind of exploring what it is to uh, be uh, self-employed, because until that point, I had not been self-employed. And at the same time, in the early 1990s, I read a book by John Kabat-Zinn called Full Catastrophe Living, Mm -hmm. which describes the mindfulness-based stress reduction program that he created at UMass Medical Center. And I was electrified when I read it, because in that moment, I realized I had found my future work. Um, Sounds like a a pivotal moment. It was an absolutely pivotal moment. Quite frankly, I was sitting on the couch in front of the Christmas tree, and I was one of my Christmas reading books, and I started reading it, and every time I turned the page, I said, this is it. (laughs) And after about 10 minutes, my husband said from the other room, what is it? You know, he was so tired of hearing it. And I just said very calmly, I found my work. Oh, wow. And so it was extremely pivotal, and I immediately the next day called up and signed up for the first stage of what would lead to my eventually certifying as an MBSR teacher. And yeah, it was a wonderful moment uh, to really at that moment know that what I did before, 
And what I was interested was now coming together in a new kind of channel, a new direction that would bring together all my resources and at the same time let me move forward in a way that integrated and at the same time developed, offered a real opportunity to go forward, although in those days I had no idea it would take on the dimensions that it has today. And your business has grown a lot. I mean, you started it later in your career and it's it's really taken off. Yeah, um, as we were talking a little bit before uh, the we're on that we went online, uh, I belong to a generation of people which has been described as those who enter their second adulthood. In other words, people in their early 50s and things who may have already completed a career or have been working maybe as much as 30 years and perhaps can retire but decide, well, wait a minute, I don't want to just, you know, sit in the backyard and sip tea or lemonade, uh, maybe this is a chance to go in a new direction. And so a lot of people retrain. Uh, for example, in our institute, we have quite a lot of people who are 50 plus who are retraining with the idea that when they retire or later on, uh, the kind of work we do, which is teaching mindfulness meditation, is actually a work that you can do the older you are often the more respected because people hope that you have wisdom and life <laughs> right. experience behind you, right. which is not always the case, but <laughs> nevertheless. Um, and yeah, I belong to that generation. And um, it's been, as we also talked about, it's been a learning curve um, to move into something which was completely new, which is running a business and an institute, even though it's an educational institution, it is a business. There's a bottom line, there's profits, there's losses, there's spreadsheets, there's accountants, there's the whole kit and caboodle. And this was something I really had to learn. Um, but the, we've been very fortunate. Uh, we entered the market at a really good time. In other words, we were the first <laughs> on the continent. Right? We, there was a, another institute in, in the United Kingdom, but we were the first on the continent and um, had a really wonderful launch, so to speak, because it was just the right timing, which I think is also very important in running a business, knowing the right timing. But these are all things I had to learn. I really had a very minimal understanding of what it means to be the director of a company when I started. Mm -hmm. And you didn't actually know the right timing when you started. You just knew this was the work for you and you began. Is that fair to say? Not really. Okay. That's true because in 1993 when I began the work that was to do my own training mm. and I put in what you need to do is you first have to put in the legwork of getting to know your field before you can consider training others you need to have sure. a depth of experience for yourself so I did that about for for about eight years where I taught and um, was training and deepening my understanding of this. And then at some point, we began to get myself and another colleague who I had helped to train, began to get inquiries from other people in healthcare, education, etc., saying that that's very interesting. Um, we'd like to train, where could we do that? And so from that, I began to hear, ah, and that was, that's critical. You, you sometimes hear things Mm -hmm. or are aware of things, and you say, ah, oh, you know, and that's really the time to really take it seriously and dive in. Right. And I was fortunate, I did. I had a sense, this is the right time, eight years after I had been myself doing the work, because, and then moved to becoming a, a trainer of trainers, and that's what I do today. 
And you now have a faculty of 25. You worked in eight right. countries. You're branching out. You're planning to do some training in the U.S. as well. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is amazing from from starting not that long ago. When did, when did you start your business? Well, I started the business in 2001. Okay. And um, it took the first few years because mindfulness-based approaches were virtually unknown. Mm-hmm. here in Europe and even in the states they didn't really get going until you know the beginning of the 21st century right. so we were working really creating in a way our own market if you like by making people familiar uh with these mindfulness-based approaches and there were a whole bunch of things involved with that marketing making it known helping to arrange for books to be published or articles to be published there's a whole lot to it you can't just sit back i found Mm -hmm. and just wait for the people to come to you sure how people going to know what you're doing if you're not (laughs) and again this is before big inroads in internet almost no social media. I don't think there was social media in those days. And so, you know, it's, it's, um, but it's been exciting. And it's also been challenging. One of our challenges is working with different cultures. Um, you, one cannot assume that, let's say, people in Norway have the same cultural background as people in France mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. in Poland or in Ireland or in Austria. Some of the countries in which we Um, offer our program and even though most of the time they're in English although we do also offer programs now in French in Polish we're going to Greece soon we're going to be offering in Greece we were supposed to start in Turkey unfortunately political conditions don't make that um, suitable at the moment so that was another thing we had to learn do you Um, find do you find that cultural diversity is something that you have to take into account do you do you change the program or adjust the way it's delivered in order to make make it easier for people in different cultures to connect it's not it's not that you change the mbsr curriculum because this curriculum is an evident evidence-based program which has a protocol in other words it has a curriculum what's done in week one what's done in week two or three <laughs> it's pretty set it doesn't mean it's rigid but where the flexibility is in the guiding of the interaction of what we call mindful dialogue but also noticing how the different cultures relate to material For example, if we have a unit on working with emotions, huge difference between (laughs) working with people from northern Scandinavian culture and more Latin culture. It's not better or worse, but as a teacher, you can't just, you know, pull out your lesson plan. You really, you're in a constant kind of dialogue and response Mm -hmm. with your students. And I could think in a business as well, with your clients as well. And I think that that's a very important development um, in education as well as in other areas. You know, what not just going forward with what you think is right, but listening and asking what is really needed and how can I most skillfully present this material in a way that people will really have an experiential learning experience, which is at the heart of what we do in mindfulness. Mm. Well, and and you're absolutely right. That kind of ongoing dialogue with your students, with your clients is part of successfully delivering something that's educational. It's also part of successfully being in business. So you're taking that skill that you have and applying it to that kind of setting. And I mean, as, as you, as you refer to the mindfulness based stress reduction, your new book is, it's really about 
straightforward instruction, but it also helps people with skill building. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. And another very important aspect of mindfulness-based approaches is the attitudes that we cultivate. And I think this is something that also could be very important for your listeners, because when you're in business, uh, when you're running a business or running an organization, um, sometimes, and I know for myself in the early days, I wasn't quite so aware about how what I'm not saying <laughs> or what I'm not doing uh, is as much allowed communication as what I'm actually doing. And so, and that has to do a little bit with attitude. I mean, how, how I am, for example, if I am talking with someone, am I listening? I mean, am I honoring our conversation rather than trying to impose my ideas or not listening at all and just going ahead? And sometimes when we're very enthusiastic about something, you know, let's say we're trying to present something to someone or sell a product, we can sometimes be so involved in our own thing that we're not really listening and seeing if, in fact, as your program is called, if we're having an impact. And so learning mindfulness skills and, and attitudes such as being realistic about expectations, um, learning to cultivate a certain quietness, um, uh, what we call beginner's mind, which is that no matter how many times you've done something, um, trying to to have an attitude of being open and being responsive as if it's the first time so that the richness of the experience can really infuse you each time. And so with that kind of attitude, there's no such thing as a oh, business as usual. <laughs> um, there is, there is great value in having a certain amount of routine in what, what one does, but not a routine that is killing and causes one either not to listen or not to respond. So as well as the book giving clear exercises about mindfulness, and it does follow the eight-week MBSR program, um, one doesn't have to do the program to profit from the book, but it, it can also be very supportive if one is doing a mindfulness-based program um, as a support. But I, we do also try in the book to to support the cultivation of certain attitudes that can really help us to deeply live a mindful life, both privately, professionally, and in all aspects. And what do you feel is the impact of that on people that read your book or are involved in the programs that you offer? What, what do you feel, how does that impact them? and their lives? Well, I think that a lot of people, at least I know from all the people who come to our programs and who train in various, um, I don't like to call them methods of self-improvement. That's not, uh, we, we don't talk about that, but who have a sense that, who have a sense that maybe their life is running away from them. And in business, that can often be that one gets so caught up in the the work of one one is doing that the actual personal relationship and the qualities of it that perhaps brought us into the field to begin with have all evaporated and we're just you know trying to quote unquote get through the day mm -hmm. or get through the business and how can we how can we cultivate a kind of mindful attitude that allows us to stop to pause to savor maybe also 
in that more still phase, realize that a course correction might be necessary so that we can learn to not just be constantly putting out, putting out all the time, but be able to be at home within ourselves, to listen to ourselves, to sense to ourselves, to know when we're going over our boundary, when we're sometimes, frankly, abusing ourselves, either physically or mentally, and giving us a very concrete, this is not airy-fairy stuff, this is concrete practice, practical ways to really help us to live the life that we have. And whether that's, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, you're really speaking to building a kind of resilience in a way. Was that, was that fair to say? Yeah, it's not just about resilience. It's about a basic, resilience is part of it naturally, the capacity to bounce back after a difficult situation, whether it's health-wise or something else. And so, yes, resilience is part of it, but also about maintaining a kind of, um, you know, part of the subtitle of the book is about vitality. And so often we lose our vitality because we throw it away or we spread it too thin, or we don't really, in certain times, ask, ask ourselves, what really matters here? What is the essence of this situation? And so we might be confronted with, you know, like the boy putting his finger in the dike. Every time a, a hole appears in the dike, <laughs> we're putting a finger in it. Right. But maybe not taking a moment to say, well, you know, maybe there's something I can uh, do to structurally improve this dike so it's not going to happen. In other words, take a step back and be able to have a much wider perspective. And that's very difficult. When you're in the throes of something, it's very, very difficult. And concrete mindfulness practices, um, also I'm sure you have in coaching, techniques that are similar in the sense of stop, pause, take a deep breath, tune into yourself and be present and don't focus on a solution. Just be in the moment with what is. That in itself will often lead to a new course of action which will be much more grounded and much more in tune with what really needs to happen in that particular situation. Mm. And I think that's particularly challenging when you're in a difficult situation because sometimes we don't really want to be mindful of difficult things. I, I know as an entrepreneur, I'm very positive focused. I'm very much um, uh, a positive thinker, and I don't like to get caught in a lot of negative thinking. But in order to deal with a difficult situation, I have to first be able to acknowledge it and move through it. How, how does MBSR and, and the work that you're doing help people in in that scenario where we're kind of shying away from difficult things? Well, first of all, I don't use the vocabulary positive and negative, yeah, mm -hmm. because that the situation itself is neither positive or negative. It simply is a situation. How I respond to that situation may fall into categories like positive or negative, but I prefer much more the use of words of skillful and unskillful. Mm. So let's say I have a particular situation which is calling my attention. Um, if I, and let's say, for example, it might be a, a conflict that I have with, a, with a, a faculty member or someone with whom I'm doing business. Um, and what often can come up 
is the situation itself and then all the personal reaction and all the things that are going on around it and all the stories that are being created on both sides. It's unfair, it's not correct, it's this and that. And not seeing that the situation, that we're much more involved in our emotional and other, or there might be fear, what's going to happen, I might lose this client. Um, And if we can really come be with be with what is in that a moment in a way that it doesn't take us into a kind of a um, a whirlpool that drags us down, but that we can see, simply be with it with a more kind of a spacious perspective so that we have a wider angle of the whole situation. And that can be tremendously helpful. For example, not taking everything so unbelievably personally. <laughs> yeah? Right. When we can learn to, you know, not take it so personally, we're much more skillful. Skillful in the sense would be in this sense of resolving whatever the conflict might be in a way that benefits both. You know, one thing that helped me a lot in the early days, it might sound a bit naive to a lot of your clients and listeners who are so experienced in this, but the idea of win-win was a tremendous help for me in the early days, although I didn't quite understand it. But as I got more and more in the work that I do, I understand it's not about getting my way. It's about if there's a particular situation, what would be the most helpful situation where both of us on both sides of the conflict can move forward in a way that we feel that we've resolved this. So that to me is skillful. Mm -hmm. That's to me is keeping things going. Um, It's not about giving in. It's about really moving forward. Uh, And sometimes we do have to make decisions that are unpleasant. Um, But that's part of life. Yeah. yeah? And, um, well, I like the we, way I like the way you've put that skillful versus unskillful because I struggle with that too. I don't really like the dichotomy of positive negative. It, it I, I really like the way you have put that. And how do you feel that that impacts the larger world when people are skillful in the way that they navigate their relationships and their businesses? I think. When we stop th- taking things so unbelievably personally, and that's what happens when we label things positive and negative. Who is it positive or who is it negative to? To <laughs> me. Right. Right. Okay. So when we open up that a bit, where it's beyond just um, positive and negative, uh, we have a tremendous energy that becomes available to us. And it also helps really. I've found personally and others tell me really helps them to see what is exactly going on here. What's the essence of it? Now we can see what's going on and still decide, no, I don't want to go there. And that's often the case when we look at politics and the the world situation, many, many, many people in government in other situations know in a way what needs to be done. Are they willing to do it? That's another story. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Well, in in the work that you're doing, are has it always been important to you to have an impact, to make a positive contribution, or did that develop over time? 
And why, why is it important to you? If, if it is important, why, why is it important? Well, maybe I can take it a little bit uh, from another perspective. Sure. And I've, that is... I've packed a lot of questions um, in there. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. But what comes up for me first is um, how to keep the inspiration going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In other words, it's one thing when you're at the beginning of something, you just have to put your head down and 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 keep going. And the inspiration is important, but there's also a lot of um, nuts and bolts work that has to be done, which is not necessarily inspiring. Okay, and then your company gets going and hopefully you, you have some success with what you do. And, and then after a while, it can, if you're not careful, it can become jaded. Or it can become, um, oh, this is where I make my, my, we say in German, brot, you know, my brot, <laughs> my, my bread money. Right. So this, this is where I earn my daily. But, you know, what's really important is, you know, something else I might be doing. And this dichotomy can get quite big so that even when you're doing inspirational work, you've lost the inspiration. It's not uncommon uh, and also when we mentor our teachers who are in training, it's not uncommon that it comes to a point where you're doing the most wonderful work and people are responding, So, but you're feeling burnt out or you're feeling you've lost the connection. So I think the mindfulness practice has helped me very much and the, the understanding how people really are benefiting, that the work that I'm doing and it's not, I think it's important, it's not me, but the work that I've had the honor and capacity to be able to, to transmit to others, which is not mine, but is a wisdom of a whole generation of people and one thing and another, that is inspiring. And that keeps me sometimes in the dark hours, and there are dark hours, where it helps me again to remember that this work matters and that and that I can play a role as one of many who can really support the world and work and people in a life-giving, life-enhancing way and really support people, as you say, to develop resilience, but also to, to appreciate um, this life and this opportunity for what it is. I love that you said it that way. This work matters. I, the tagline of my business is you matter, what you do matters. And that so speaks to that. And you said it with such conviction and clarity. It was really wonderful to hear. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Are there, are there ways that, um, you have woven in your values into your business. It's, it's one of the things I talk with people about in all these interviews, because I think values are so much at the heart of the impact that we want to have, the things that you hold as important. Do you see it that way or? Well, absolutely. But maybe I can touch on a theme uh, that I see as related to what you're asking and may also be something that comes up for your listeners. And that's the thing you use the word values. Um, I might use the word ethics, yeah? And again, when we're working, and this is maybe also something that's particularly challenging for people who are working in fields where ethical values or the value of the human being, the uh, wish to uh, live honestly, um, 
and to embody those values in what one does is not easy. That was one of the earliest challenges um, that I had to face is that in fact there's a quite a big gap between values that are stated and activity that actually happens. <laughs> and right. how to how to stay for me to to stay um, in line with the values that are important to me, which are honesty, transparency, clarity, um, financial honesty, uh, is not easy, especially when one sees that around one, there are many examples where that doesn't happen. And it has, it, it, it's not, I'm, I don't want to say it's easy, but it is an amazing learning experience. If, for example, transparency is, in other words, the terms of the work are clear, the contract is clear, the amount of money that's involved, that there's no kind of surprise coming afterwards where one might say, well, and now you need, you know, these are all kinds of things. You see so often it's not done that way. And there can be perhaps a temptation to say, well, maybe I'll hold back on that a little bit because that might be problematic and that might cause someone perhaps not to register for my course or my offering. I'll tell them about it later, you know. <laughs> That's a kind of a, you know, it's a fine line. Right. And so I think that, um, yeah, that's what comes up for me when you talk about that. And yet I think... Um, I think we have to ask ourselves at the end of the day, is this really what I want to embody in my life or not? And sometimes it can be very helpful then to have a coach or have a mentor with whom one can speak about these things that one can, I like to say, orient again to true north. <clears throat> you know, whatever your true north is or whatever your north star is, um, sometimes it's easy to to lose sight of that and I would say then is a time to talk with friends, talk with colleagues, talk with perhaps a coach or a mentor where you can again orient toward your true north, like the old sailors used to orient toward the stars right. when they didn't have any navigation devices mm -hmm. or they felt lost. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you really speak to a dilemma that entrepreneurs have in, you know, how how much do you really believe in the values that you hold and how willing are you to stand in them, uh, even when, you know, someone might not register or there might be a, an issue with someone. That's a, it's really great that you spoke to that. Have you found that, um, in the course of the work that you do, that there's a, a really good use for your time and energy? You've now got multiple people working with you. Are there things that you focus on in particular that you find have been valuable both for you and your business? Well, I don't know if this is going to answer your question, but this is what is coming up for me. Um, I am more and more careful now about what is the best use of my time and resources. And in the early days, 
quite frankly, my husband and I did everything. I, um, we were the uh, bookkeepers. We were the photocopiers. Uh, my daughter sometimes helped out as well. You know, when you start a kind of a small operation like that, um, we were doing everything. Now today, I have five people in the office working full time and a whole staff. And, and I have to be careful to delegate. I have to be careful to um, ask myself at this point, why am I doing this? Can't this person or that person do that? And really also ask as I get older now, what is with the time that I have, and I hope I have another 10 or 15 active years, how do I really want to use them well? Now, I think this is a question you can ask even when you're not uh, at this stage of the life that I am. Um, am I really using my resources and time in the best way possible? And I remember many years ago when we decided we would hire a couple to uh, work in our office and basically take over the administrative duties of the office. And I was so scared to begin with. Oh my God! How how are we going to pay two full time salaries, and will we be able to do that? And I was I was scared, and mm-hmm. I almost didn't do it. And then I made a decision that if if we don't do it, we're not going to grow. Right. We're going to, and we have to take a chance, and we'll do the best that we can. So those kinds of things, you know, when is the right time to take a step forward? When is the right time maybe to say no? That's another thing. Learning to say no to what may sound very attractive, but actually could be that one drop too much in terms of what you're doing. So I hope that a little bit answers your question about, um, you know, what I've learned uh, Mm -hmm. and how to use my own resources well to take care of myself and at the same time take care of the business. Yeah, and and that taking care of yourself is so much an important aspect of having impact. And I know you have a, a Tai Chi practice, Qigong, and mindfulness as well. Are you do you do all of those regularly, or how do you manage your own caring for yourself as as you're doing this work? Well, I really um, I really make sure now that, uh, for example, how I deal with time. I was just booking a flight ticket yesterday, and I had a choice between different flights. And I had a choice that I could take a flight that would get me to the place maybe two hours before the event. In the old days, no problem. I would have just done it. But now I realize, no, two hours not enough. I really, really like to be there four hours before the event begins to settle in, to have maybe have a nap. You know, becoming aware, what do I need rather than pushing myself beyond my beyond my boundary i i struggle with that myself that's a really wonderful reminder that we take into account not what you can pack in but rather what do you need in order to be present be effective have a good experience with what you're doing Right. And saying no to ourselves when we think, oh, if I just if I just work another hour, if I just answer another 10 emails. <laughs> um, I have also have rules. I have rules that I follow. I never go online after 6.30 at night unless it's a huge emergency. Of course, deciding what's an emergency is another thing. But basically, I, don't, I never go online uh, after a certain time. 
Um, I schedule talks that I don't have too many, one after the other, mm-hmm. because I've learned through experience that, that if I don't conserve, but when you're younger, you think, oh, you know, and that's why so many young people are burning out now. You know, one of the highest age rates now of people burning out is, is people under 30. Really? Because they, oh, yeah, yeah, statistics are just horrifying. Um, because they, they, you know, they have the physical energy. Mm-hmm. And they can push themselves beyond, and they can sometimes also shut off in a way. Uh, and there's this, you know, working 10, 12 hours a day, day after day, week after week, having no private life, having no recharging. Um, you know, and what happens is it feels like it, it's addictive, and it becomes an adrenaline rush. But in, 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 um, in, in truth, it's they're on the motorway to burnout. Hmm. And they hit the wall. And that's such an important thing to consider if you want to do this work of impact, doing work that matters, of right. looking at the longevity of it. What's How can you continue with it rather than um, just pour everything into the into the moment and without any regard for the longer term? Our, right. And also, if you're yeah. concerned about impact, what are you embodying mm. and what are you modeling when you work that way? Yeah. I like yeah. that question. What are you embodying? What are you modeling? Yeah, that's a great thing to consider. Yeah. Have you, you've, you've alluded to this and um, that, uh, you know, of course we all run into obstacles or problems in having the impact that you want to have. Is there a particular situation you can think of where that was particularly challenging and you were able to work through that i always think it's helpful to hear from people about what challenges they've had and therefore you know how can i learn from that how can i take something from that for my own situation yeah i would say that one of my biggest learning curves and if people are listening who know me they'll probably be shaking their head up and down yes 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 she's finally seen it (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know I value directness and transparency. However, um, that has to be modulated with wisdom and tact. And I think over the years, I've really sometimes had difficult situations where I thought that what really mattered would just was just 100% openness and honesty and didn't realize that, in fact, it's a subtle form of, of aggression because I can be very enthusiastic and think I'm being honest about something, but in fact, I'm still just caught up in my own trip or my own cell. And I'm not really being in a relationship with whoever I'm in contact with. And so I've learned to not hold back, but be much more modulated in how I relate in a particular situation so that, again, it can be a skillful communication rather than my just going off the deep end with my uh, enthusiasm. Hmm. That's a great way of putting it. I, I hadn't thought about it as a form of aggression before, but your your recognition that it's a focus on the relationship rather than just on the honesty or clarity or or your particular perspective is uh, that is so valuable yeah because it's not just the content the delivery is important as well Mm -hmm. and as we know from communication 
that um, the actual words uh, play a very small role in communication. 85% of communication or something around that percentage is nonverbal. And nonverbal means what am I embodying? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, anyway. absolutely. Yeah. Well, what insight or advice would you share with another business owner who's asking themselves, how can I have impact? How can I do work that matters? How, how can I positively affect things? What one thing would you share with them as something you've learned that you feel is really important? I really think that the, that it's tremendously important to have support um, for one's own process. Even though I'm a Zen teacher and I've been doing this all for many, many years, I still have a mentor and a supervisor with whom I can share and grow. And I've learned not to assume that I'm an island um, and I really believe that no man or no woman is an island. And to to seek that kind of um, contact and opportunity for me to 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 grow and to search and to look and to examine and sometimes to laugh and sometimes to cry is what really keeps it alive and and that then allows a real impact to happen not because i think i have to make an impact because it just flows out of my own um my own depth and my own real connection to the work that i'm doing because i'm not taking it for granted mm. I really like how you said that. The impact flows out of your own depth and your own, I'm, I'm not sure the words you use, but your own regard or passion for the work that you're doing. And that this is a process. I'm a little bit, reler I, 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 I don't want to say that. I think it's very important we understand these are growth stages in our lives. And sometimes we expect to have them right at the beginning and we don't, want the other things and it just doesn't work that way it just doesn't happen that way right. and so the most important commitment is to this process of developing and knowing it takes time it takes sometimes a course correction it takes guidance um, and it's not enough to just have a fantastic attitude that's great but it's not enough that's not one what's going to get you through the day and night yeah the the sinking down of the roots and from that, the depth can flow. Mm. Yeah. Those are great words to leave us with, Linda. I thank you so much for joining us today. I, I really appreciate how much your work matters to you and that you're so mindful about what you're embodying and the work that you're doing. So thank you so much. I, I really appreciate the work you're doing in the world. Well, thank you again. I've enjoyed speaking with you. Me too. And if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach you on your through your website or? Yes, if you go to the uh, website of the institute, um, you'll find that you can contact me through our office, or you can also um, see what we're doing. And uh, and yeah, yes, that's the best way. Great. Through so the it's office. Okay. So the website is institute hyphen for hyphen mindfulness.org, right? Yes, Correct. right. Okay. And at the back of the book, uh, there is, we, we took great care to, to make an a international directory 
of MBSR teachers in, in the whole world and also in North America. And perhaps if in, people are interested in, and, and find that maybe um, mindfulness or mindfulness-based stress reduction might be something that supports them, there are also mindful leadership programs that are being offered by various uh, people and or finding a mindful coach and are um or someone who can may not be a mindful coach, but nevertheless is mindful. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> In other words, who really supports one's development. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you again, Linda. I really appreciate your time, and it's been great having this conversation with you. Well, thank you. So join us for more podcasts on impact. Subscribe to the Work Alchemy podcast channel on iTunes or Stitcher Radio so you'll be notified as soon as new podcasts are available. Thank you to everyone listening for being here. Until next time, to keep that positive flow of energy going in your business so you can have your own impact, join our community of entrepreneurs like you by entering your name and email at workalchemy.com.